morning and welcome one more time. My name is Dirk, a preaching pastor here at Encounter Church, and it's super good to be with you this morning. Super good, too, to be continuing this series called Do Over. In case this is your first time dropping in or you've been away all summer long, we're in a series right now called Do Over because we've come here to worship and we've come here to, in fact, experience the God of the do-overs. We said in this series that our God, the God, is the God of everybody who's gone down the wrong road. He's the God of everybody who's made mistakes, and he's the God of everybody who has just plain wasted too much time, too much of their lives. He is the God of the do-over. Last week, we did an installment of this series on Rahab and some of the decisions that Rahab made and some of the, the lifestyle that Rahab found herself caught up in. And so today, what I'm going to do is, is to try to preach a sermon that doesn't get edited on like security filters on YouTube. And you think I'm kidding. Last week, I went to like go, you know, make sure everything was posted and good to, you know, connect and everything. And, and it said like restricted, you couldn't access it because I've got these super strict filters on because my kids always ask for my phone all the time. And it actually edited, blocked out our sermon from last week. And I thought, all right, goals for this week. Let's not say anything that like triggers an algorithm in like Google and YouTube to like flag it. And then I looked and today I'll be speaking to you about Samson. So it's, <laughs> right. Come on, <laughs> planning. Anyway, uh, you laugh at the story of Samson because chances are, even if you haven't grown up in church, like you know about this story. Some of the stories that we speak about here, on, here, at, uh, here at church, like you have to be paid in order to read the Bible to ever come across these stories because they're so obscure. And then like the Samson story comes along and it's like, you don't have to come to church. I'm pretty sure you just drive by a church and like you know what the Samson story is. That's all it takes. Because like there's something about the story that is so riveting, that's so confusing, and that's so engaging that, that it like gets told in so many different ways. Now, for I, if I was going to ask you this morning to close your eyes and just, you just imagine, like, like picture the guy Samson in your head. Like, what does he look like? Anybody? Like, what are some words that you would use to like, like, like trigger? So, so what does Samson look like? Just shout it out, whatever you got. Mayweather, I heard that was epic. All right, no, I was not expecting that. Right, I thought somebody would like shout out promiscuous or something like that because that's what kind of church. Uh, no, anyway, <laughs> that got weird. Um, but yeah, Mayweather, yeah, boxer type, strong, like ripped, absolutely cut. Like that's the kind of guy that we picture Samson was. Now, but for a variety of reasons this morning, what I wanna what I wanna offer you is that I don't think. This is just Dirk's opinion, so take it or leave it. I'll, we'll get to the Bible stuff in just a minute, but this is J Dirk's opinion. I don't think Samson was like this massively stacked dude. Now hear me out just for a second. I don't think like he was one of these guys that like his chest just kind of like went right up into his face because he's all muscles. You know, I don't think he was that guy. And I don't think that he was that guy because, because well, like, when, when that guy bench presses a small truck, like nobody stands around that and goes like, how did he do that? Right, like we all know how he did that. The guy spends 12 hours a day in the gym. Like we, we understand how that guy does those incredible feats of strength. I don't think he was that guy because we don't hear in the story, like how did he do that? 
all the time. We, we, we hear in this story, like, like this surprise come upon people like again and again and again, like, like shocking. And, and we see in the story that, that he doesn't even know when his strength is going to come and, and when it's not going to come. I think Samson wasn't like this absolutely cut rip dude, like all the Bible pictures and the storybook Bibles and everything picture him as. I think he was kind of a skinny dude. I think he was maybe a little bit, a little bit soft, like a couple of us this morning working on that. Wasn't fishing, but thanks for laughing anyway. Uh, I think he was kind of a skinny guy because, because I think that the way that the storyteller tells the story of Samson, he's trying to like overlay the story of the people of God. In that day, the Israelite people, over top of the story of Samson. Like Samson was the perfect picture about what it meant to be a follower of God, an Israelite, way back then. And I think probably still to this day. So I think he was kind of a skinny guy or maybe kind of a soft guy because God wanted to make, make, it, make a point. This is the first one. God wanted to make a point that the strength that Samson had was not his own. It was not because he, he worked out so hard. It was not because he was so fit. It was not because he practiced so much. I think that God set it up in this way because whenever he would accomplish a feat of strength and somebody came up to, you, to, came up to him and said, Samson, how'd you do that? I think the response was supposed to be, I don't know, God. I don't know, like the, the spirit of God came on me. I think it was set up in a way for Samson to give the credit back to God for everything positive that he would ever do in his whole life, that God set it up that way. In effect, for the people of Israel, it was set up in such a way that if the crops grew, if their marriages succeeded, if their jobs flourished, like they were supposed to give the credit back up to God. But just as the perfect like overlay image of the people of God that Samson was, there was a, there was a side part of that. There was, a, there was a shadow side of that, which that he mirrored God, not only in, in the feats of strength that he was supposed to give back to God, the glory, but he also mirrored the people in that he was wildly and even extravagantly at times disobedient. He mirrored the people of God because it seemed like at every single turn, it, whether he was offered like the good, smart, wise thing to do or the terrible, foolish, dumb decision to do, he would choose the worst one every single time. And it's infuriating to like read this story and watch this thing unfold. And, and you watch the story of Samson and you're like, how, how could you be so reckless? How could you act like such a fool? How could you do something so incredibly dumb? Like, I don't even get it. And so as a way to like write us all into this story, I don't want you to shout out any names, but I just, I just want you to like, who's that person in your life? Like, who's that person that if you're reading their story or maybe sitting next to them in church sometimes, and you, and you kind of want to be like, how could you have acted so foolishly? How could you be so reckless? How could you do something so dumb and so destructive? And, and like keep that person in your mind because chances are like there's a potential that you have for them that they're just not fulfilling right away. 
And so it just, it'd be helpful. How could you be so foolish? How could you do something so entirely reckless? And before we answer that question, I want to jump into the story of Samson as told to us by the book of Judges in Judges 16. So we're going to the end of the Samson story. It's helpful to know before we get into it though, Samson was born as a Nazarite. And this is going to come in really important later on, not just with the hair stuff, you know, if you've heard this story before, but actually some of the vows that take place in the earlier part of the story, I think really set us up for, for the incredible twist of the ending of the story with what God is just about to do. So a Nazarite vow, in case, you know, you're like 99.9% of people have no idea what that is because we don't talk about it anymore. But a Nazarite vow is when, is when a set of parents or a child or someone makes a commitment before God that three things will take place. As a way to demonstrate how they are set apart for the work of God, uh, they're going to stay away from any kind of food or drink that comes from grapes, which would include wine. And in fact, a lot of people think that it's just explicitly targeting wine. They're supposed to stay away from dead things, dead bodies, dead bugs, dead bears, dead lions, dead people, like whatever it is, don't touch them. And the last one is that they're never supposed to cut their hair. And so as the hair like grows out in these long braids, you know, that kind of follow them along everywhere they go, like it, it causes some heads to turn. And the point was simple. They just wanted everybody to know that guy, that person is set apart for the work of God. You know they're a Nazarite just by the way that they wear their hair. Now, when Samson was born, he became a Nazarite, in fact, still in the womb. Uh, parents were having a hard time getting pregnant, uh, expecting a baby. And then a messenger of God, who we find out later is God himself, comes to the parents and says, your child, what? Yes, you're going to miraculously have a child, a baby boy. And he's going to do incredible things for the people of God. But I want you to set him apart from birth as a Nazarite. And you kind of like hang on to that. Because that's going to be important by the end of the message. Okay, um, we get into the story and it starts off and whew, we've got a lot of tales about Samson. But we're going to pick it up when he meets someone special. And uh, Judges 16, verse 4. Uh, sometime later, Samson, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorak. Now just don't get all sentimental because he falls in love with like eight different women, of course. Like this is not that. But anyway, the latest person is, that he's in love with is a woman, Valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. Now, a lot of us know who Delilah is. If you grew up in church, even if you didn't, Samson and Delilah is kind of a pop culture thing. There's a lot of songs about Delilah. It doesn't really matter so much about Delilah. What we want to know about her, though, is Valley of Sorek is like squarely in Philistine territory. Uh, Philistia is where the Philistines are. Philistia is an enemy of Israel, the people of God at this point. In fact, Samson, wh while this is happening and how he gets his start, is as a border guard which is kind of important to know because you don't guard your border unless just across, you've got some enemies over there. So Samson starts off as a border guard trying to protect the land from the invading Philistines. Only when he gets done with his shift every night, he sneaks across the border into enemy territory and sleeps with some women over there. And this is just a habit that he picks up. And he gets into so much trouble. At one point, they know he's in this village and the Philistines like all surround him and they're just about to attack him. And he wakes up and he, and he goes out to the gate where it's locked and he pulls up the iron bars off from the city gate and he like charges 
charges out and defeats all the Philistines. Incredible. Another time, like they surround him, you know, they get him all tied up. And then Samson, as a way to exact revenge, gets 300 foxes. It's like this weirdly specific kind of story that you're like, how in the world? Why would you even make this up? And he ties their tails together, lights them on fire. I didn't make up this story, but sets them loose in the grain fields in Philistia just to make a point. Point received. They wrote the story down. We're still talking about it today. Like this is Samson, right? The, the strength comes on him and he's able to do these, these incredible things. And now he meets Delilah. And now he meets the one Philistine woman that he's ready to spend the rest of his life with. And he has no idea how short that's about to be. Verse five, the rulers of the Philistines went to her, this is Delilah, and they said, see, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up, subdue him. Each one of us is going to give you 1,100 shekels of silver. It, I don't know how much this is worth. It's hard to do inflation over 3,000 years and an ocean in between, but it looks like it's about $100,000, which is a fair amount of money, but we don't know how many rulers are coming to Delilah and saying, we're each going to chip in 100 hundred grand. It's probably a few. I mean, this is a, this is a tremendous amount of, woman, amount of money for a woman. That was weird. <laughs> it is Delilah after all. <laughs> it's a tremendous amount of money, but the money is only a side component. Because it says that the rulers of the, of the Philistines came to Delilah to present this offer of 100 grand each. It's not, the rulers coming just should like signal something in your mind that it's not just about the money because it's not just a border skirmish at all. This is a national war. And Samson is the national hero on the side of the Israelites. And so the rulers of Philistine coming are saying, no, 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 we are at war with the people over there. And, and so Delilah, if you can capture Samson, you're not just going to be rich. No, no, no. Delilah, if you can subdue and if you can capture Samson, you're going to be a national hero. Like Delilah, do you know they're going to sing songs about you? And Delilah, do you know you're going to be famous? And Delilah, you're going to be, you're going to be the hero of us all. And so Delilah, man, Delilah, that's about hatching this plan. Like, how am I going to trick this guy, you know, who's been through so much, who has seen it all? How am I going to get this guy who, who ripped open a, a lion with his bare hands? Like, how am I going to get this guy who slayed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey? Like, how am I going to trick this guy into giving me the secret of his success? And so she comes up with this really intricate, this really detailed plan. In verse 6, she said, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. That's, her, that's seriously her plan. Like, just, hey, what's your secret? And now, <laughs> shrug shoulders. Um, the, I don't think this is like a dinner at Applebee's kind of conversation. That's a little bit of a dig at Applebee's. Sorry about that. But I, I don't think this is a, like a mid-date kind of conversation, right? She wants to get this information. I don't think this is like a, a dinner kind of conversation. I think this is, this is like a dessert at her place kind of conversation, right? Like in the right moment, when the, when the setting is perfect, then she asks, 
you can trust me. What's your secret? And Samson does something that I think is pretty smart. He gives her bad information. Verse 7, he answered her, you know, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings, where do you get that? It doesn't matter. That have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And at that point, at that point, you're like, I see what he's doing, right? Because by this point in the story, in chapter 16 is the end of Samson. So we're kind of like wrapping up the story. You know the scroll is kind of getting thin towards the end of the book. So, so you're like, okay, okay. I, I think I kind of see what's happening. So he, uh, he, he touched countless dead bodies of the lions and bears and Philistines and more. Like he, he broke that rule. He threw dinner parties. He threw drinking parties. He broke the whole grapes and wine rule all the time. And he just has one thing left, which is the hair thing. And now I see what he's doing. He's trying to like, he's trying to like tease out from her uh, whether she's actually on his side or not. So he gives her some bad information, drinks a little bit too much that night, falls asleep, wakes up, and he's, and he's tied with these bowstrings, right, that haven't been tried. He's like, wow, that's such an amazing coincidence. And she, he wakes up to the sound of her saying, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And she's just like waiting, just watching. And he, he breaks the bowstrings. He defeats the Philistines. And then he goes and, and he has a conversation with her. Why in the world he ever goes back to her is like, Samson, how could you be so reckless? How could you do something so foolish? How could you do something so incredibly dumb? Samson, but you know that guy right? You know that person in your life that always goes back to the well. No matter how poisoned it is, no matter what it is, you know that person that always seems to go back to the last possible place that she or he should ever go back to. And everybody reading the story, hearing that person's story, everybody knows, don't go back. Don't do that. And she or he, whoever it is, seems to always find their way back. But Maybe he's learned a lesson. Then Samson, or then Delilah, verse 10, said to Samson, hey, you've made a fool of me. Hey, you lied to me. Come now, tell me, how can you be tied? And so he said, he said, I'm done with you. I'm not going to tell you. You're a deceitful person, and you can't be trusted, and you're a poisoned well, and I should never come back. No. He said, well, if anybody ties me securely or with new ropes, that's the thing, with new ropes that have never been used, then I'll become as weak as every other man. And lo and behold, he goes to, drinks a little bit too much, goes to sleep that night, wakes up, and what a coincidence, he's tied up with new ropes to the sound of Delilah in the corner going, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks the ropes, he defeats the Philistines, and he goes back to Delilah again. Who said, verse 13 to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool and lying to me. Tell me, how can you be tied? And he replies, if you weave seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. He should have been suspicious when after he said that, she started putting together a loom in the corner of their bedroom, Right? But whatever, you know, he falls asleep and he wakes up and his long hair is now weaved together with a loom in, in the back of, of her bedroom. And she, he wakes up to the sound of her going, Samson, the Felicities are upon you. And you know the rest of the story. Then in verse 15, she said to him, how can you say I love you when you don't confide in me? This is the third time you've made me a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Now, the next part is in the Bible. 
and you have to believe me that there's no way I would make this up and there's no way that I would insert this. I wouldn't even choose to preach on this except for the fact that this is in the Bible. Verse 16, so with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So if sex doesn't work, um, <laughs> so <laughs> 17, no further comment. Who highlighted that? Um, 17, so he told her everything, everything. He told her no razor has ever been used on my head. Because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb even before he was born. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. How could you act so recklessly? Right? How could you How could you do something so foolish? You know I I told you before that Samson, the story of Samson is told by the author of Judges as a way to overlie his story to the story of the people of God in ancient Israel. And when we see him acting so recklessly, so foolishly, and so self-destructively, I wanna, I wanna ask you a question. No, I wanna make a statement. And there's just this one statement of this entire message that I hope that you can take just simply on faith. If I have any credibility built up with you, if you've been attending here for a little while, if we've gotten to know each other, I want to stake it all on this one thing. The story of Samson isn't simply meant to overlie the ancient people of Israel. The story of Samson's recklessness and the story of Samson's foolishness it isn't even meant to overlie the story of the person sitting next to you. I want to take it all, all my credibility that I've built up with you over the years or over the weeks and put it on this simple point that the story of Samson's recklessness and foolishness isn't directed at anybody else, but it's directed to you and you and you and you and me. Because it's so incredibly easy to see the foolishness and the recklessness and the idiotic behavior in so many other people. And it's so difficult to see it in ourselves. Now, I get a comment around here fairly frequently, and I, and I love it. So I'm not trying to like, if you've said this before, and you're like, he's calling me out. I'm not calling you out because I, I, like, I like hearing the comment. I think it's encouraging. I think it's helpful even. One of the comments that I hear a lot of the time after, you know, the message and somebody comes up to me and they say, that message was so perfect. It was so great. It was like God was speaking right to the person I brought to church with this morning, <laughs> right? Like that's exactly what they needed to hear. Or I want to get a copy of that message. Uh, you know, can I, can I get it downloaded from somewhere? I want to be able to share it with a bunch of people because like they need to hear that message. That's awesome. I think it's important to share like whatever God is telling you, it's important to share that message with some other people. But at least for the purpose of this morning and for the Samson story, I just want to take it from somebody else and put it on each one of us. And to say, what is the Samson story telling you? How could you do something so foolish? Like, how could you do 
something so reckless, so idiotic. How could you? How could Samson? I think that question deserves an answer. And I think when you start pulling apart some of the layers of the story, one of the things that you're going to find is that adversity, adversity is remarkably difficult on your spiritual life. I mean, when things are not firing and clicking as they should, when you're broke, when you're jobless, when your marriage kind of stinks, when you don't know, when you don't have a clear picture of the future, adversity is difficult. Adversity is hard on you spiritually. But the truth, I think, of the Samson story is that success is even harder. Now, again, you can just take it. We might not know each other. We might know each other really, really well. But I've journeyed with a lot of you. And I've heard a lot of stories. And I've gotten to pull back some of the layers to a lot of your stories and a lot of other people's stories as well. This job tends to elicit that from people. And one of the common threads that I have seen in, in the stories of all of you, and I think in the stories of the Bible as well, is that although adversity is hard on you spiritually, success is even harder because something strange happens in, diver- in adversity. Something strange happens when everything starts to collapse around. In, in, in sickness and for worse, like all, when it all starts to collapse down in these valley seasons of life, when you don't have a clear picture of the future and you don't know how to get out, friends, your head is on a swivel looking for God to show up in your life. Amen? Like it's in those seasons of down, of low, of valley that you are scouring the pages of the Bible, begging God to show up, begging God to lend you his voice, even just for a moment to know simply that he's there and that he is listening. It's in those valley moments that you are asking everybody and anybody that you know to please intercede on my behalf. Have you seen God? Have you sh- has God shown up for you? Might he have a word from, have he, has he told you something that you need to tell me. You're looking for God around every corner. But when success comes along, I'm good. God is important. Later, God's going God's to show up. Later. I'll go to church when I need God. I know where to find a Bible when I need God. I know who to talk to when I need God. Adversity is so hard on us spiritually. But I think the story of Samson shows that without adversity, when there's just victory and success, and then victory and success, and that's all you know, success is even harder spiritually. The next one is this weird love that Samson and Delilah have. That on one hand, you're like, this is ridiculous. That doesn't exist today, doesn't it? I, I think the love that Samson and Delilah share, and I, and I use the word loosely, it's exactly the kind of love that culture says we ought to have for one another, right? In, in our romantic relationships, the Samson-Delilah kind of love is like, that's the goal. The, the kind of love that doesn't say, I'll sacrifice for you or I'll serve you. It's the kind of love that says, what can you do for me? And so for Samson, it's rather obvious. He's getting this, this physical act from her. And for Samson, it's, you know, also there's this 
perceived thrill of danger that he loves to have and that he, he kind of thrives on. Samson gets a lot of this relationship. Delilah is obviously using this from 100 grand from each one of the rulers of Philistia. She's also, she's also using him for, for possible fame and notoriety to be a hero down the line. They're using each other. It's that, it's that kind of love, right? And, and, and so often, right, we, we enter into these relations, these romantic relationships with other people, and we, and we have this, this meaning behind, I love you as long as it's easy, or I love you as long as you can give me something, anything, even if it's just a sense of purpose, even if it's a, I, I'm not with anybody right now, and so I, I, I really feel like I should be with somebody, and so you are the wrong person. Everybody tells me that you are the wrong person, that you are that poisoned well for me, but I just, I need someone in my life, and you can be that person, and so as long as you can be a person in my life, like that's good enough for me, you can give me, so I love you. I love you. And that's not love, right? We know that's not love because a lot of you know how the story of Samson turns out. We know that's not love because we know how the story of God turns out. The story of God is that the kind of love that he showed us, of course, is sending his son from heaven to earth to live for us, to teach us how to live and when the time came to die for us. That's the kind of love that God gives that says this is how you should serve one another. Little book from Francis Chan on marriage. And he said, this is, this is the deal, Christian marriage. This is what it's all about. I believe as a Christian that I'm going to meet God someday face-to-face and give an accounting for who I am and the resources that I've stewarded down on earth. And I believe my wife also is going to meet God someday and give an accounting. And my job as a husband is to speak into her life and her heart like nobody else can to get her ready to meet God on that day. And her job as, as a wife is to look into my heart, look into my soul, see things that nobody else is ever going to see, and to help me get ready for that meeting that I'm going to have someday to serve someone, not just their interests, but their highest interest. That's love. That's love. Samson missed that. We missed that. And the last reason I think that, that he's that he acts so foolish, so reckless. He does something so dumb. The, the last reason I think that, that we all, not just Samson, but all of us do it, is that there's this, this side feeling that we believe that God is holding out on us, right? That God wants to give us something, but he's just not for whatever reason. Maybe, he just, maybe he's not kind. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not gracious. Maybe he's not loving like we thought he was, at least not in the sense that we expect him to. Maybe God is holding out on us. And so if that's the case, I just challenge you to challenge you to whenever you have that like emotion well up to say, maybe God is holding out on me. Just just flip that for maybe God is looking out for me. Because what he did with Samson, what he did wasn't just holding out on him. What God was doing was looking out for him and saying, Samson, no, don't say it. Don't share it. I'm not holding out on you. I am looking out for you, Samson. No. And each one of us, no. Don't. Don't do it. But he did. We've been this... We've been through this three times already. With the bowstrings, with the new ropes, with the hair in the loom, Samson wakes up and a razor has been put on his head. And there's the sound of Delilah in the corner saying, the Philistines, the Philistines. 
Then she called out, the Philistines are upon you in verse 20. He awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go, I'll go out as I did before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. That's the capital city of Philistia. And they brought him to the temple of Dagon, which is the temple dedicated to the God of the Philistine people. And they had a party with thousands of people dancing away because the hero of Israel, the hero of Yahweh, has been captured by our hero, Delilah. Delilah. And maybe this is the Hollywood in me or whatever, but I just imagine that the last thing he saw before, before they took his eyes was Delilah. And he just watches her as they do what they're about to do. And he thinks to himself, I should have seen this coming. The fact that they took his eyes is, a, is an odd detail, but I think it serves just as a, just as a subtle jab to say, didn't your, didn't your vision extend beyond just you? And it didn't. And friends, this is the first time I think adversity actually strikes in his life. And adversity is hard on him spiritually. Success is even harder. And so I think God brings him down low for this next line in verse 26. Listen to this. He goes, Samson said to the servant who held up his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. And then Samson did the most remarkable thing that he's ever done in all the story, not letting foxes go on fire or beating people up for the jawbone, but Samson prayed. Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, using his divine name, Yahweh, sovereign Lord. He says, remember me, remember me, somebody who has the level of pride that Samson has, does not think of himself as a forgettable person naturally. So, so the very fact that he's in the place, not being able to see, and feeling the cold stone of the pillars on each side of him, and praying out, God, remember me, is shocking. Because for the first time in his life, remember, Samson... There's more written about Samson than any other judge in the book of Judges. And never, not once, does Samson do anything remotely spiritual except here. When he prays, remember me. Because God, apart from you, I, I am a forgettable person. And he says, please God, strengthen me just once more and let me and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he does. God gives them strength for one final push against those stone pillars. And the temple with thousands and thousands of people collapses in on Samson, of course, in the middle. And he gives his life and with that act gets his revenge on those that took his eyes and you walk away from this story with two reactions. I think number one is how, how small, how petty. Like he's, not a, he's a judge, but he's not a judge at all. 
You walk away from this story and you're like, he, the greatest thing that he's ever done, not in his life, but in his death, was simply get revenge on some people who hurt him. Like that's the judge in this story. Can't we do, can't we do better than that? We can. Of course we can do better than that. But first I want to know, why? Why does God show up again? He didn't have to show up. God didn't have to honor the vow. Samson broke the grape thing. Samson broke the dead body thing. Samson broke the razor thing. God was under no obligation to show up. And friends, God never is. Because God isn't a set of levers that you can pull and knobs that you can twist in order to make him show up in your life and give you what you want. God isn't, God isn't an object to be talked to or manipulated, an arm to be twisted in order to to read a set of verses in the right order to finally give you the blessings that you would like to see show up in your life. God is demonstrating in this story he's so much more than a thing to be manipulated. He's a person to be spoken to and to be prayed to. You remember that vow? I said that vow is going to be important in the beginning of the story to the end of the story. You know, that vow was made before Samson was ever born. He never made that vow. That vow to set him apart, to be a Nazarite, set him apart for God's own use. Quote, until the day of his death, that vow wasn't his. That vow was not even his parents. The vow that was made was by the messenger of God that is later to be revealed as God himself. The vow to be on Samson was never made by Samson. It was made by God in Samson's life. Like the, 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 that idea is so incredible. It's so incredible for, for you and for me, I think this week, because because we're going to go out of this place and no matter what you're sensing right now, no matter what your level of closeness with God right now is, is that the story of the Bible that we know about ourselves is that we're going to leave this place and we're going to fail. And we're going to leave this place and we're going to be unfaithful to God. And so we're going to leave this place and we will have given up on God just like Samson did. But the vows aren't made by just us. The vows are made from God to us. And even though we might fail, God says failure isn't final. And even though we might be unfaithful to God, God is still faithful to us. And even though we might have given up on God, he will never, ever give up on you. And we can do better. And we can do better than a person who gets a little petty revenge on some people that hurt him in a temple somewhere. And God knows that he can do better. And so God also sent a messenger to another couple and said, it's a miracle, you're going to have a baby boy. And God also sent somebody to live and also to die, arms outstretched, to save his people. Only this time, instead of getting revenge on a few evil 
bad guys here and there. Jesus Christ ends evil itself when he comes back. I want you to stand up and let's pray together. Gracious day, gracious Lord, haste the day when that faith is sight. Jesus, when you come back and you right every wrong and you heal every heart and you put every life back together, Lord, haste the day. God, as we leave this place, remind us that failure isn't final. Remind us that you never give up on us. Remind us that you are always the faithful one. God, may we choose this day and every day to love you and to honor you, even to sacrifice for you and to serve you. And Lord, I pray for everybody who's caught up in something right now and they don't know how to get out and they know that it's reckless and they know that it's foolish. And everybody around them, if they would know about it or maybe they do and they're already saying, you gotta get out, it will take you. It will take everything from you. And God, grant that person more than the strength of Samson. God, grant that person in the room listening here today the source of that strength of Samson. Grant that person your spirit. God, to break the chains of bondage and of sin and to claim victory in the name of Jesus, in whose name we all pray. Amen.